Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible together, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're joining us in Season 3 as we continue working through the Gospel of Matthew. At the time of this recording, we're just approaching Christmas 2022. So I'd just like to take this opportunity to wish you a really blessed Advent season. And I trust that you will know the Lord's presence and that if you're fortunate enough to be in that place that you're able to spend some time together with the one you love in your family. I myself will be doing that over this uh, holiday period. So there may be a couple of less episodes per week this week and next than you would normally expect. But I know only about 30% of you are actually listening on the day or the week that the podcast recorded. Many thousands of you who joined some time ago are playing catch-up, if you like, and working their way through episodes. So receiving them maybe days, weeks, or even months, or even possibly years after they were first recorded. But anyway, I do trust that you have a blessed time. And with that said, we'll drop back into the main text and continue in the story of these three sets of three miracles that Matthew has been recording for us. And I do hope you'll hang on at the end and I'll update you on a few other ways in which you can connect with my teaching and ministry. Okay, bye for now. I'll see you at the end. Okay, folks, we're covering the text from Matthew chapter 9, and we'll hopefully be looking from about verse 18 through to verse 31. The question we've been asking ourselves, particularly as we've gone through these last couple of chapters together, is how do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? Now, from a biblical point of view, the answer to that is found probably most clearly in this one book of the Bible more than any other. No other book of Scripture attempts so clearly and straightforwardly as its primary goal to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah than the book of Matthew. Now in the last week or so we've been particularly going through two chapters together, Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And in these two chapters we are given a series, well basically of nine, some might say ten, but nine, certainly nine miracle events. These nine miracles are given to prove that Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament. And if you look at these two chapters together as a sort of narrative unit, you quickly discover that these miracles are appearing in groups of three with a specific theological sense and purpose of why they're grouped in that way. In the first group of three, there are three miracles described, and then there's a little interlude about discipleship. Then there has been a second group of three, and another little interlude where Jesus teaches about discipleship. And then finally, there's a third group of three that we're approaching today. Now, in the first group, he told us about the healing of a man with leprosy and a paralyzed man. And then as well, he told us about the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And at the end of that little miraculous session, so to speak, the text then plunges into a discussion about discipleship. And Jesus talks about all the excuses that some will give for not being a disciple. 
Then we spent a few days looking at the second round of miracles. And in the second group, we saw how Jesus calmed a storm and how he cast out a demon and also the healing of someone where he declared that he forgave their sin. And at the end of that second cycle, there's another pause. And again, there's a discussion about discipleship. And in this case, we actually see Jesus calling Matthew. Jesus says to Matthew, follow me, who gets up and does just that. And then as well as dealing with the grumbling of the Pharisees, he even then has to deal with some of the ex-followers of John the Baptist who complain about not only what Jesus is doing, but how he's doing it, the way he's doing it as well. And then finally, we reach this third round of miracles. And it's that third round that we're going to begin looking at today. And it's in this third round of miracles and what Jesus says about them and what Matthew says about them gives us an idea of, certainly gives us Matthew's idea of how Jesus really offers us the ultimate in every way through his Messiahship. Now you might think all these miracles described to us so far have demonstrated it all. What more could there be to come? Well, to answer to that, we're going to look today at Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 18, as I said. But like before, we're going to look at the three miracles, and then again, there'll be an opportunity to look at something that is said about discipleship. But anyway, let's begin this process and look at, well, really, in a sense, it's a one-miracle event in terms of narrative, but it's actually two miracles in one. So I'm going to call this little passage of scripture, Matthew 9, 18 to 26. It's demonstrating a girl being restored to life and a woman healed. So verse 18 tells us, while he spoke these things to them, so Jesus is here finishing this section teaching about discipleship, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him saying, my daughter has just died, but come lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house, so now he's back going to the place where this ruler of the synagogue's daughter is dead. So when he comes to the ruler of the house, he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. He said to them, Make room, for this girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all of the land. So as I said before, this scripture actually contains two miracles in one. One is in a sense an interruption of the other, but I'm going to consider them together as a unit because we started out talking about one and then we see Jesus gets interrupted and a miracle very quickly takes place and then he gets back to the first incident and he fulfills that call upon him and a second miracle takes place. So this first part is the setup of the, the main miracle that is coming at the end of the narrative, where Jesus ultimately will in fact raise someone from the dead. 
So let's just look at the opening verse again, where it says, While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Now I need to explain that the Greek word translated worship here is not maybe exactly what we may think that word means today. It has within it the idea of bowing down, prostrating oneself. As a matter of fact, when Mark records this story, he actually says that the ruler fell down in front of him. Now the term ruler refers to here probably doesn't refer to someone who is a king in authority. It refers to a leader of a Jewish community, probably most likely experts believe a ruler, what was called the ruler of the synagogue. So what's happening here is this this important, at least local, if not regional figure, comes and prostrates himself at the feet of Jesus and says, please come lay your hands on my daughter and she will live. Now apparently his daughter had just died, but yet the man still comes and says, if you lay, just lay your hands on her, she will live, she will be resurrected. He must be saying, I believe you can do that. So in verse 19, Jesus is seen to say, well, he arose and he follows him and so does his disciples. And then here's the interruption. And suddenly a woman who had had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. So he needed to follow that segue off and deal with this interruption event, this interruption miracle as it happens. So they're leaving the place and they're going on the way. And in verse 20, we see this woman with an issue of blood and she's been suffering for bleeding for 12 years. And she comes from behind and she just touches his garment, the hem of his garment, in fact. Now, this verse is packed with meaning and there's a lot going on to be unpicked out of this verse that lies underneath just the basic text. Let me explain. First of all, it points out that she has a flow of blood, as it's called in many translations. Now, it's important to understand that according to the Mosaic law, if that was happening, and if it was happening normally, during that period, a woman was ceremonially unclean. But what this means is that woman has been in this state for 12 years. And what is significant about that is the primary thing that was required of someone, of a woman in that state, was that they were not allowed to touch anything, because if they did, that thing also became unclean. And we know she's been in this state for 12 years. She's lived in a state of being ceremonially unclean, which meant she has been socially and spiritually isolated from everyone else for 12 years. And the one thing she could not do, was not allowed to do, was to touch anything or anyone. So with that in mind, if we see, look at that verse again, we see that this woman approaches him from behind and it says she touches the hem of his garment. So what she did was really quite unthinkable. If she touched something, that something would immediately, or that person would immediately be unclean in the eyes of the religion of that time. Something else is critical, namely that it says she touches the hem of his garment which actually means that she probably touched the long robe that he was wearing, but the the Jewish men of that time, the robes had a tasseled hem. But look at what the woman believed in doing this, and it tells us in verse 21 and 22, For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turns around, and when he saw her, he said, 
Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. And the woman, it tells us, was made well from that very hour. So this woman is demonstrating almost unimaginable faith. For 12 years she's been suffering with this problem, for which there was no known cure. And she is saying and believing, if I can just touch the tassels that hang from the rim of his robes, if I can get close enough just to do that and touch it, I will be healed. I will be made whole. And she does that. And the Lord, sensing that has happened, it tells us that in Mark's account, the Lord turns to her and says to the woman, Be happy, your faith has made you whole. And verse 22 points out that the woman was made well from that very hour. Now that is the end of that little interruption with the miracle within the miracle. But now an even bigger miraculous event is about to occur. So we're still on the way to the girl who has died, who is the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue. So let's pick up that story again in verse 23, where it says, When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in, he took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went into all the land. Now back in those days, it was fairly common that when someone died, that the family would often hire professional mourners and wailers. And the fact that they were playing flutes and that there was weeping and wailing, it suggests that not only were professional mourners here, but it's clearly pointing out that the funeral had begun. This girl was definitely dead. So Jesus gets there and he says, Make room, for the girl is not dead, she is sleeping. Now we need to explain what's going on here. You see, the term Jesus, when he uses it, uh, the term sleep, is sometimes used as a metaphor for death. And we might ask, why would he do that? Why would he define someone who is dead as sleeping? Well, we all know that when a person is dead, it kind of looks like they're asleep. But what we also know is that the Bible teaches that if they're a child of God, they are going to be resurrected. And that's like an awakening. So although they may be physically dead, their soul, from a spiritual point of view, is sleeping. So what Jesus says about her being asleep, he is talking about being in the spiritual state of being asleep, as in the state that any believer finds themselves when they pass from this world, in the terms of the fact that they are waiting for the resurrection. So though he knew that she was really dead, the crowd were talking dead physically, literally and spiritually. And because of that, that's why they say you're crazy. This girl is dead, full stop. But verse 25 tells us that the crowd are put outside and Jesus goes in to the house and he takes the girl's hand and she arose. So in this passage, Jesus raises a girl from the dead as well as healing a woman from chronic disease, a disease that she'd had for 12 years. So the big question is, what is the point of these and the other miracles to come? Well, of course, the main point Matthew has been making all the way through and will continue to make through these nine stroke 10 miracles is the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. 
But I, I would like to submit that what Jesus is showing here and Matthew is testifying to is the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the Messiah who has the power to raise the dead. Other prophets and teachers, they come and claim to know how people should live their lives. But Jesus is shown to say, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus tells us that we need to become the way and the truth and the life by allowing his life to live in us. So that's where we're up to. Two miracles in one. A woman is healed and made clean and a young girl is raised from the dead. But then another miracle occurs and two blind men are healed and the text picks up in verse 27. And it tells us when Jesus departed from there, so he's leaving this location and it says two blind men followed him crying out and saying son of David have mercy on us and when he had came into the house the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them do you believe that I am able to do this and they said to him yes Lord then he touched their eyes and saying according to your faith let it be to you and their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them saying see that no one knows it but when they had departed, they spread the news about him all around the country. And this is a rather simply presented, straightforward story in narrative terms. Jesus leaves one location on the way to another location and to stop again for the night, he encounters two men that are blind. Probably pretty quickly after he left the house of the child that he just raised, the ruler's daughter. But notice what they first call out to him and how they address him. They say, Son of David, have mercy on us. Did you notice that they called him that? So who is the Son of David? What does that mean and why have they referred to him in that way? You see, David was the father of Israel, but he was the one who was promised an eternal throne. So to say that Jesus is the Son of David is to say more than he's just like everyone else as Son of David. He's the son of David. So it's saying more than he's just in the line of David. It's saying that he's in the line of David, but he is also the one who is, is destined to sit upon the throne of David. So they are acknowledging that Jesus is not just a child of the nation of Israel, a son of Abraham, a son of David. They're acknowledging that he is Jesus. He is the Messiah. Clearly, that's their point. Did you notice he answers them by saying, do you believe that I am the one able to do this? Do you believe that I can do this? In a sense, that's saying, do you want to be healed? Please note, not everybody in life wants to be cured of their problems. You know, in my time, I've spoken to many, many homeless people and people who are drug addicts or alcoholics, and some say they don't want to be healed. I know that that's not the majority of people with addiction problems, but it definitely is the case with some. So Jesus says, do you really want this? And do you really believe I can do this? And they say, yes. And he said, all right. And he lays hands on them. And he puts his hands on their eyes and their sight is restored. Then Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this because he's not ready to be fully publicly proclaimed as Messiah yet. But what do they do? These two men, it seems they do the exact opposite and they tell everybody. Well, maybe that's human nature. It's really interesting, isn't it? You tell people to go, and they don't, and you tell people not to go, and they go. Maybe what this tells me 
is maybe we should approach evangelism a little bit differently in this day and age. Maybe we should tell people what they need to give up and how hard it is to make a commitment to faith rather than reducing the gospel of Christ to a form of easy believism. Maybe we should call people to that journey in life, to that challenge, respect them enough to say that this is a difficult and in order to achieve the life of faith, they must give something up to set something aside in order for greater things to come. That in itself is a radical position to take in a society where everything is lived for the benefit of the now. All right, there's one more story in this last cycle of nine miracles, and that is going to involve the casting out of demons, which thereby enable a man with mutism to speak. But we shall pick up at that point in the text in verse 32 next time. Okay, friends, that's it for today. I do hope you're enjoying our time together and you're finding it helpful. You know what? Ultimately for me, the pleasure here is all mine. The benefit is all mine. By making the decision to work through the entire Bible, I've made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of my daily life. And I hope that you're finding that beneficial, helpful, encouraging also. I would just like to remind you that if you're a late adopter of this and you've come along, we're a couple of years into what will probably be two and a half years into what will probably be a 10-year project but you're very welcome to join us by just clicking on the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from and making sure you, you don't miss another single episode there should be an episode notes page and a transcript within the episode notes of wherever you're getting your podcast from but I'm aware that not all the podcast providers provide those active links. So this Bible Project podcast is hosted on thebibleproject.buzzsprite.com and if you go there, you'll find all those links are active. Not only a transcript of what I've said, but also links to places like the YouTube channel where there's an ever-increasing archive of this teaching building up in playlist format by themes and by books but also places like the Facebook community, also even my LinkedIn page and Patreon page, places where you'll find more structured discipleship-type courses, which I hope you find helpful. But it's wonderful to have you with you, and if you are here for the first time, why not consider maybe going back to the start, or maybe going back to the start of Matthew at least, and then making the decision to make this journey also with me and make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life as well. So with all that said, thank you very much. And if you're listening to this, it may be on Christmas Eve, because they're due to go live on Christmas Eve. I do trust you have a wonderful Christmas time. I do pray for those amongst us who find this time of year a challenge. Maybe it's the first time you face Christmas without someone that you really love. I pray that you might know the peace of God and the encouragement of God by His Spirit and by His Word in what for you might indeed be a difficult time. So other than that, there'll be a slightly lighter touch of episodes over the next week or so as I'm traveling this Christmas and also gathering our family together in the home. So maybe expect three or four episodes for the next couple of weeks where there normally would have been five. But other than that, 
I'll see you right back here the next time you connect with us on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.